everybody. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. As always, we frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body you love. And you know, for a long time, I've been talking about how your mental game determines your physical body, determines the world around you. Your internal reality will create your external reality. So today we're going to dive into creating the champion's mindset. First of all, what that means, mental readiness to produce a desired result when it counts. That is mental preparedness. Um, Today's guest, Dr. Jeff Spencer, is an incredible wealth of knowledge. He's a nine-time Tour de France competitor. He's an Olympian and now become a mental performance coach, uh, most known for creating a framework around the champion's mindset and helping us determine our legacy, uh, determine goals, and ultimately goal achievement rather than just goal setting. And a lot of people set goals which, as Dr. Spencer speaks about today, setting goals is futile without goal attainment. So we're going to dive into all of his processes around how to prepare and how to perform, whether that be in sport, in business, in life. Uh, Dr. Dr. Jeff Spencer is an incredible wealth of information, and literally uh, every minute of this podcast is mind-blowing. So the beginning starts off with him telling a little bit of his history and his education and his, his athletic prowess. And then we really get into the weeds at the end about how to really upgrade your life, upgrade your mind, and this process that he's created that's going to allow each and every one of us to upgrade our life. And you know, guys, you have so much potential living inside of you. You can blow the lid off at any time. If you just live into your greatness, you accept who you are and what you can be, and you realize that you can. And the reason you're not is because of the story you tell yourself as to what you can't. And as soon as you start to question the story, as soon as you start to live into your greatness, everything around you will start to change. Better people will come into your life. Better opportunities will come into your life. People will want to be around you. You'll want to be around them because you're all making each other better. And that's how we thrive in life. And I hope each and every one of you realizes your greatest potential in life because that is what this podcast is about. It's inspiring you. It's inspiring me and millions of people around the world to live our greatest life because that's how we're going to change humanity. That's how we're going to change the course of this earth and of our species and really allow us to flourish for generations and generations to come. And I often speak about my children. I often speak about subsequent generations because that's what matters. So you reach a certain point in your life where you say, Hey, you know, I want to live my greatness so I can give you the permission to live yours. I hope you guys love this podcast and this conversation with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Uh, if you do share with at least one person, you know, that will benefit from this. Cause I think really everyone I've ever met um, should hear this information. And without further rambling, uh, enjoy the podcast with Dr. Jeff Spencer. Dr. Spencer, you've got an amazing background. Um, you know, I've looked into you quite extensively over the last few weeks. Um, first off, love to hear about how you became an Olympic athlete because that's no joke, right? Like, you know, people here an Olympic athlete, I think they uh, acknowledge that it's the top of the food chain, but having been to the top of the food chain in one sport, people don't get what it takes to get to that level. You can uh, intellectualize it, but putting it into practice is always exponentially more than you think it's going to take. So I'd love to start there because obviously with what you did in in, uh, cycling, probably laid the foundation for the mental fortitude you you developed and then this process that's become part of who you are now. Well, when I was seven years old, I thought it'd be the coolest thing ever to become an Olympian. That's all I thought about 24 hours a day. And I studied everything I could find about it. And what intrigued me was, is that 
it was an opportunity to really test a person against their capacity. And so, you know, I'm not an angry athlete that proves people wrong. I'm just an athlete that wants to explore what's possible. And that's kind of one of my monitors, actually. Then when I was 11, I showed uh, a very unusual cycling capacity. And uh, at that point, I realized, well, I could become an Olympic cyclist. And that's how I could march into the parade on the opening day ceremony and get that task done. And, and I was fortunate because the last time I saw my dad when I was 13, beginning my uh, journey to become an Olympian and he was a genius and I found out 30 years later he died homeless on the streets of New York City but the the silver lining to that was that I had angels come into my life at strategic times that uh, were true mentors to me in every capacity and I had the greatest coach ever because he was a three-time Olympian and five-time national champion and what he did even though I was in my early teens at that time he didn't push me to win He, he taught me how to be a thoughtful athlete and how to cultivate my skills and my uh, humanity to become the best athlete possible. So I followed his guidance and the guidance of other people for 10 years. And I buried my head faithfully and I created for myself uh, this little plan with my crayons on this thick piece of paper. And my plan was simple. I gave myself 10 years to become an Olympian and I was going to work hard. I was going to never make an excuse and I was never going to give up. And those were the three things that I looked at every day that uh, were, um, those things that I knew that I had to do to become an Olympian. And actually it came quite naturally to me because I have the self-start gene. I don't need any motivation whatsoever, you know, once I'm got the scent on something. And, uh, you know, for me, people say, well, wasn't it a sacrifice? And, you know, no, it wasn't a sacrifice. A sacrifice isn't to step into your bigness or your potential or your possibility actually is probably even a better word. And so uh, it taught me a lot uh, about myself. It taught me a lot about humanity uh, there are so many lessons that I could share with you that are important from my Olympic experience, but that was the genesis of it, and that's how I came to be. How does a seven-year-old become inspired to become an Olympian? That, that really intrigues me because most seven-year-olds, especially in current society, aren't thinking that far ahead. And, you know, you and I actually have a very similar path where I, I remember being seven years old and having a high level of awareness of wanting to do something different than everyone else around me. Do you know what it was? but uh, it was certainly not the path of all the people around me. And it's interesting that's around that time, right? Um, So I'm very curious as to if you, what recollection you have of like why it was an Olympian. Well, I I was just called to it. You know, there are certain goals that we have that we intellectually select, but then there are certain goals that call us to it. And it was clearly a calling uh, for me. And I've always been one that I know what it feels like to be called to something. And when I get that and I feel that I perceive it, I know it's real that I'm really faithful to answering that call and taking it all the way to the finish line. And I was really athletic. Anything that involved throwing anything, jumping, slamming into people uh, for its own sake, I was just a really physical kid. So it was actually a perfect uh, fit for me. Tell me about that calling. What does that feel like for someone out there who maybe has experienced something like that? That's, that's very, a very curious uh, topic for me, right? Like, is it yeah. just something that was easy for you? Is it something that you just loved so inherently that it filled your heart? Or, or how would you explain that? It was really a calling, like, here's the Olympics and here's Jeff. And there was actually a gravity that was pulling me into it. Like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'll say that it was a bit supernatural because it was all-encompassing, but it's almost like I was called into service, so to speak. Yeah. And I know that feeling, it kind of comes from the chest and there is a gravity and the uh, commitment to it and the awareness of it is gentle, it's sublime, it's real, it's tangible, it is something that is completely distinguishable 
it's not like an emotional high where you're thinking about what you'll get back from doing it. It's really right. about, am I called to it? And is it part of my constitution to show up for duty and get the job done without any conditions attached to it? And with that calling, I mean, I had that in the art world. That's how I was able to show my artwork in the best galleries in New York City. That's how I was able to become International Sports Chiropractor of the Year. That's how I was able to uh, become uh, one of the outstanding students at the university where I was there as an educational opportunity, scholarship, et cetera. And I, I just found um, that many people have five, 10, 20 year plans. And I found those way too limiting. I feel that if I'm open and I'm receptive to ideas and I welcome them into my consciousness when they show up and I get that calling and I step into that, that's always where things seem to manifest much more easily than the wear and tear in the mind and body and brain that it takes to have a 20 year goal that you're bound to. I found that that works a lot better for me and that's how I've always lived my life. And you speak about your angels and I'm assuming this is actual people that came into your life to guide you or was this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just, yeah, they were. It's like, a, it's almost like a, a, a movie script, like my yeah. Olympic coach for sure. Because again, you know, my temperament, I'm kind of a gentle guy, even though I'm a warrior at heart, you know, I don't like conflict just for conflict's sake. And I'm not an angry guy. If somebody tells me I can't do it, I just don't do it to prove them wrong. You know, I like to show up and be of service to those things that I'm called to, to really honor that privilege. And he was the perfect coach for me because he taught me to be a thinking, thoughtful athlete that made really good intellectual choices and built myself as a complete human being, not just an athlete with a single mindedness. And then at the same time I was training for the Olympics, I um, had another mentor who was more encompassing, so to speak, in terms of crafting me as a human. And he was literally a, a Renaissance man. And uh, he chose me to be his apprentice to help him create his glass masterpieces. And he was an art glass master. And, you know, for me, why would you choose an athletic kid to be an art apprentice to help you create masterpieces. I mean, it seemed like an enigma to me, but he saw something in me and he chose me for that. But what was really important about this is that like at lunchtime, uh, he would read to me poetry. He would read to me the great philosophers. We would listen to classical music. And he said, I need to fill you up on this stuff because you have a capacity for embracing this, which I did. But coming from a welfare family, that was not part of the daily conversation whatsoever. And even in healthcare, I had people that were on the leading edge of innovation that brought me into their world. And so in a certain sense, it was uh, enigmatic because, I mean, Olympic athlete showing his art glass in New York City, being an academic student, kind of a scientist. I mean, how, how do we make sense out of all this? But yet I found that when you follow and develop multiple facets of yourself, you become better in everything. And that was really my path. And I did truly have these people come into my life that I eternally owe everything that I've ever accomplished to. I'm sitting here shaking my head because it seems the same with myself as you just had these people who came into your life that for, for whatever reason were exactly what you needed at that time, whether it be mindset, whether it be some Absolutely. impact on your life, it just opened you up to new things. So one of the things I always say is it's not about the end result. It's about the person you become in the process. And it seems Absolutely. as though, yeah, it seems as though you've really... Uh, harness that um, developing of this amazing human being and become this amazing well-rounded renaissance man to use your um, to use your phrase how important do you think that is uh, to some young aspiring athlete or anyone out there really trying to achieve a goal to just uh, sit and really embrace the process 
Well, you know, first of all, with all the clients that I work with, there's one thing that I hold sacred, and that's what I call a double win, where when we're discussing what their aspirations are for their future, that's like an academic win. You know, we could target whatever that is. You decide if it makes sense, and then we can certainly achieve that. But the second half of the win to make it a double win is that you have to become a better person in the process of it. And so when we're looking at opportunity, I'm saying, okay, here we are on this threshold. This is what we're going to be doing next to move towards big. And to do this, you're going to have to face the boogeyman, those things that will challenge you and those things that have to be uh, revised within you to become the full potential player that you're capable of being. So um, I'm not just about the win academically, because there's a lot of people that win academically, but they leave a trail of destruction 10 miles long behind them. And for me, that's not acceptable. We have to be becoming a more uh, influential uh, person that calls people to a much higher game in the process. And to me, that's a deliberate part of any aspiration. Beautiful. So you, you alluded to a bit of a troubled youth. You alluded to your dad leaving at 13. Yeah. How much do you think that uh, stress ultimately as a child contributed to your uh, almost necessity to grow up fast and maybe uh, ultimately succeed? I was fortunate because having uninvolved parents that provided a, an environment to sleep with, I, I didn't get too domesticated. I think if we get too domesticated, then a certain rawness of inquiry and inquisitiveness uh, is compromised in that. And I didn't have that. I did have to kind of find my own way. And uh, I certainly didn't have the word can't in my vocabulary. I never considered, I never considered that something couldn't be at least pursued. It just never occurred to me. Uh, certainly there was some organizational downsides to not having the uh, familial uh, family structure to be able to help kind of craft me. But you know, fortunately, I was not malicious. I never got myself into tr- trouble. I wasn't interested in drinking and drugs and things like that. I just wanted to explore uh, what was uh, possible. And again, I had really good people show up you know, for me at the right times to help me uh, stay not just on the track, but help to cultivate and grow my intellect and my capacity as an individual. So it seemed as though all of these little um, events that happened in your life have contributed to your wisdom that exists now, which you now take and apply to this process you developed to help people find their goals, their purpose, and really ultimately develop the champion's mindset as you speak about. Uh, Can you start walking us down the path of you know, what this process looks like for you. So if I were to come to you as, as a young aspiring athlete, which I, I wish I would have known who you were during my body. I wish I would have known you too. So what I discovered was, is that, you know, I've been in the high performance world for over 45 years advising uh, athletes, uh, you know, to win gold medals and all that stuff. But what I discovered was, is that when actually let's call it an experience that I saw is that the way that most people go after their goals is like, if I'm here and here's my goal, there's this empty space between me and the goal. And we'll call that the gap. And the way that we close the gap is that we have a big hairy audacious goal or a moonshot, maybe 10 or 20, the more, the better. If I'm a little bit uh, apprehensive about my goal, then it's probably not big enough. I need to make it bigger. And then I have a detailed plan and then I don't give up. I stay in the game. I work hard. I stay positive. I believe I try harder. And what I found, that's the prescription. And most people aren't able to achieve anywhere close to their potential following that gap model. It's completely inefficient and it cannot deliver. And most of the people that I know, at least 90% 
have got massive goal frustration. And I've kind of spent my entire career um, debunking one myth. And that myth has created like two roadblocks that prevent people from living lives of passion, purpose, productivity, and prosperity. And that myth is, is that people assume that goal setting leads to goal achievement. And it doesn't. There's two completely separate different things. And it, another thing I'll say here too, is that to me, goal achievement is life's fundamental skill. If we cannot manifest our goals, then our dreams die in our head. We have no demonstrable evidence of a life well lived. And we're going to leave a legacy, all of us, that is a testimony uh, for people to view uh, for all of eternity about what we did with our time and our talents. And to me, that's a really important uh, thing to showcase and to take seriously. And so what I saw was in the work that I did with the people that I was uh, brought into to help create uh, their best legacy possible is that inside that space, it's not an empty space. It's not a gap. There is actually a living, breathing process that sits in there that's got two parts to it. It's got a preparation side and it's got a performance side. And the champion's golden rule is first you prepare, then you perform. Or you do the homework and the test is easy. Mm -hmm. And I saw that history revealed that each of those two parts had five steps to it. And when we took our goal and we went through the 10 steps in progression, we were able to consistently achieve our most important goals repeatedly. And so that was my discovery. And so I spent the last several years teasing that out and creating actually a model that people can follow to do two things. Number one, to become a repeat goal achiever. And why that's significant is that it's the first step on the champion's ascension ladder to go from achiever to top of field, to master, to champion, then to full potential player. And to me, um, the idea of wanting it bad enough, yeah, that's important, but we can't manifest things that we don't have the skill to be able to produce. And so I've taken my knowledge and I've created uh, the program called the Goal Achievement Roadmap Experience. It's actually an experience that people go through. There's a masterclass, it's about four hours long. And then there's a playbook that goes along with that. And you're going through an assessment of self and your ability to currently achieve your goals, what your strengths and weaknesses are. And then we develop a, a systematic approach by which you can use your time most efficiently to gain the skill of goal achievement and therefore have the opportunity to create uh, your biggest and most uh, impactful legacy. Can you talk to us about the five steps of preparation? I'm very curious yeah. as to what that looks like. Yeah. So step number one, it's clarity. And the reason why clarity is essential is that when we have goal clarity, it gives us what I call GOCUS, which is goal focus. It gives us the ability to simultaneously hyper-focus on the things that have to get done in front of us to advance towards goal completion. And we're all told to hyper-focus. Isn't that one of the mantras of goal achievement? Well, there's another side to this is that we not only need that, but we need uh, peripheral awareness of what's happening around us because that's where better options can show up that can actually take us to a better goal that we could not have conceived of previously if we're hyper-focused. And it also right. shows us where blind sides are starting to form in the periphery that if we don't see them and discharge them can wipe us off the face of the earth. Right. So I think that that's a podcast in itself, right? This idea of clarity. And, you know, I get to, I get the privilege of coaching many people around the world and giving somebody clarity on their goal. Yeah. I think that's enough fuel to, to get them to their goal, but giving somebody clarity, I'd love to have you just dive a little bit deeper into, well, how do I, right? Like I don't have clarity on my goal. 
Yeah, well, it's actually, um, let's start with the idea of the SMART goal. I think a lot of people have heard about the SMART goal, but let's put it this way, bluntly, is that there are a lot of SMART goals that aren't the right goal. And when we have the SMART goal and we don't have a mind, body, and soul alignment with it, we don't really truly have an affinity with it. And if we don't have a living, breathing relationship with it, it's unlikely that we're going to be able to achieve it at least time, with least effort, at least expense under budget. And so for me, I've actually created my own criteria. It's the right goal criteria. I think we need the right goal more than the SMART goal. And so I've created a methodology called the right goal that we take whatever your provisional goal is, that goal that you're proposing to pursue, and we challenge it against the right goal criteria. And it's fairly vigorous. And why we're doing that is that we want to make sure that you have mind, body, and soul alignment with it, meaning that is this enough for your mind? Is this big enough for you? Maybe it's too big, maybe it's too small, but we need to challenge ourselves against this. I mean, I don't mm. see that people really have the level of intimacy with their goals that they should. They're, they're more thinking about the outcome that I'm gonna get from the goal achieved. And I think you gotta have this intimate relationship with the goal. And for yeah. many people, it's yeah. not even their goal, right? That's one thing I find yeah. is they're trying to live somebody else's goal. Like they go, yeah. oh, that sounds like a really good goal. I'm gonna go pursue that, but it's not even their own true passion. How do we begin to dissect that? Well, again, I think it all goes back to the right goal. And so yeah. the criteria that I've created, the right goal criteria, you're, you'll take your goal, I call it a provisional goal, meaning that we're, we're considering pursuing it. And let's really challenge it against some vigorous criteria that we have to step into and we have to be accountable for. We have to answer some tough questions against. And what that does, that challenges our mind, body, and soul. Because like in my model, Ben, our mind, body, and soul are like three entities within us, the conscious being, mm -hmm. that actually have their own brain. And they're, they're voting on every consideration that we're thinking about pursuing. And if the uh, mind doesn't like it because it's not big enough, then we're gonna experience that as some level of ambivalence or some level of um, insecurity, some level of turbulence within us. Same for the body, you know, the body's gonna vote. You know, it's like, is this too much for me or is this too little for me? Which is it? The body's gonna vote on it. Like for example, you know, I did a bunch of Tour de France's and, uh, you know, those are very difficult events. And the body has to believe that it's worth doing. It's not going to hurt itself by doing it. And again, we experience that as an affinity and a tranquility with the goal if it's the right goal for the body. And it's the same thing for our soul. Our soul wants to know in this goal that we're pursuing, is there enough humanity in it for us to pursue it? And the sum total of that, when each of those three entities within us vote on the goal that we're considering, and it's the right goal because we've challenged it against the criteria, and we have a level of kind of excitement, we have a passion about it, we have a gravity towards it, and we believe in it because we've gone through a vigorous process to determine that it is the right goal, it's a game changer. And that way you can start on a true north heading. If you don't have goal clarity, you're ambivalent, you're not sure, and all of a sudden you start to drift and you know after a couple of months then you're going sideways and then you're confused and then that can lead to uh, you know aborting the the mission itself so clarity being the first one of preparation yep what, what are the subsequent ones number two is motive yeah we got to understand why we're doing what we're doing we've got to know our whys and it has to make sense to our mind body and soul and the reason why having motive is important is because when we understand our motives and they're the right motives, it gives us drive. And unless we have drive and plenty of drive, it's unlikely that we're going to create a life of distinction. Mm -hmm. 
third? Step number three is yep. impact. Yep. Uh, f- people very rarely consider the impact of their goal on themselves, on other people, on humanity, and on their legacy. And why it's important that we really scrutinize that is that when we understand the clarity and the impact of our goal, it gives us purpose. And why purpose is important is that it uh, is a motivating factor in our ability to begin and actually achieve our goal. I love that one. So, so many businesses now, obviously, you see this, this kind of social consciousness thing where people are yeah. picking a, a really a, a, a end objective for their business to have an impact. And I think yeah. that's really where you know, that motivates me, right? If I see a business out there or a person who goes, hey, I'm getting behind helping the earth or I'm getting behind getting rid of plastic or I'm getting behind helping kids, that motivates me to, to want to help them. And I think that's a great way to create a higher purpose in yourself and in others. I think the impact is massive. It does. I mean, it gives you a reason to get up and we all need something beyond our self-interest to live a life of passion and purpose. And so again, that's why I have this very vigorous process in step number three, which is a great uh, um, entree into step number four, which is mindset. And the reason why mindset is important is that when we have the right mindset, it gives us courage. And what I mean by courage is the ability to do what has to go right to prevail against your fear-based survival instincts. Because all of us have got kind of two mindsets that are working simultaneously within us. We have the human mindset that's fear-based. It's about protectionism. It's cold. It doesn't want to hug. It doesn't want to share. It wants to hoard and keep everything for self. But if you're living life uh, through survival, don't count on having a very good life. Um, And then we have the champion's mindset simultaneously working against the human mindset. And these two mindsets are at war with each other 24 hours a day for control over our decision-making. We experience that as conflict and turbulence within our life, which most people are, are aware of, but they don't understand the nature of it. And the champion's mindset isn't really about our default beliefs. It's really about our innate wisdom. You know, we do have an innate wisdom about what should be done that can lead to a life of excellence. And um, why do I say that? Because I've never met a person that could wait to get up and fail. I've never seen it. I know a lot of people that are disconnected from their ability to produce. But again, we need to be mindful of this because the imposter in our life is our human mindset that's survival-based. You know, it's that part of us that always makes our decisions out of what we stand to lose. (laughs) Champions don't do that. It's that part of us that says, well, I'm doing my best. You know, champions don't think like that. You know, I'm afraid, so I won't even try. Champions don't think like that. So we need to kind of replace that with what we know that the champions do do to be able to create, again, a life of uh, prudent decision-making, to create predictable and prolific outcomes in our life and to leave an extraordinary legacy behind. You had some really amazing videos on YouTube on the champion versus the, the human mindset and I suggest everyone listening to this go and watch those videos. I love them. Hey everyone, I interrupt this podcast to bring you an exciting message about a product that I've been testing for a couple of years called Halo Sport. And if some of you know, um, they've just recently released an upgraded version for an even lower price, which is super exciting. So um, what is Halo Sport? Simply, uh, it's a uh, neurohacking device that's going to allow you to increase your power, your skill, your endurance, um, and ultimately create faster attenuation of skill. So whether that be training for 
uh, weightlifting or training for any type of athletic endeavor, Halo Sport will increase your rate of skill acquisition. And I've been experimenting with this, as I say, for at least two years now, probably a little bit longer since the very first version came out. And you guys will notice a significant difference. And the thing that I notice is um, my time to highest level performance is cut down significantly. So if you're someone who goes in the gym and you feel a little bit achy, don't really feel like your nervous system is primed, then it's probably going to take you about half the time once you start using the Halo Sport. Um, the headset looks uh, amazing. It looks interesting and people get a lot of questions, but it plays amazing quality music. Um, and there's a massive amount of magic in the electrical stimulation that's being sent directly into the brain that helps um, stimulate the primary motor cortex, so the primary movement center in your brain, um, and they put you into a state that they call hyper-learning. So if you're interested, as I very much am and have been for a long time, um, I suggest you head over to haloneuro.com, H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com, and use the code MUSCLEINTELLIGENCE at checkout, and you're going to get an additional $75 off your already discounted price of this new released Halo Sport 2. So again, that's haloneuro.com, code MUSCLEINTELLIGENCE, and back to the podcast. I'd love to have you talk about, you have, some, you have an athlete in front of you, whether it be a grown adult or a child even, or somewhere in between, who has this uh, basic level human mindset and, and we want them to become, or they're aspiring to become someone who uh, pursues the champion's mindset. Um, what are your first kind of go-tos to get them thinking a little bit more goal-centric and, and winning-centric rather than, you know, loss aversion? Well, first off, um, I explained the difference between the human and the champion's mindset. They're concurrently working against each other mm -hmm. in our lives every second of our conscious awareness. And it's important that we understand that the human mindset, those things that are our default beliefs that we believe to be true just because we're human and human nature is incredibly predictable. But the problem with that is because it's only survival based, you can't create a life of excellence based on that. But because it's survival, it gets first dibs at every moment of our life. And remember, we've got a lot of mythology here in terms of goal achievement. And what are we told to do? We're told to always act on your first impulse. And I'm saying I'm not so sure about that because our human instinct, our survival decisions are faster than we can think that don't create excellence. They're about survival. So I'm saying that first off, let's make sure that we understand that we can't turn our human nature off. It's on 24 hours a day. That's the imposter. That's really not the real us. The real us is really the champion's mindset that makes decisions that history has told us will lead to a life of excellence and achievement. So is it as simple as becoming present and, and rationally thinking your way through that, like, hey, what's this, this decision going to lead toward rather than going with that instinctual gut feeling? Yes, I, I've actually created a, a chart and a model that people can actually look at and study, which is available uh, in my course, The Goal Achievement Roadmap Experience, where we uh, spend a great deal of time on that particular subject, because I feel that it's really important that when we look at these natural ways of responding that are common to all uh, humans, because they're default beliefs that we're hardwired to believe, we have to understand that we can't shut that off. And we have to recognize it for what it is. And we have to have something that will replace it. So for example, let's say I helped a guy win a gold medal a couple of years ago in, in the Olympics because he had this thing where he felt that to put in the perfect jump to win the gold medal, 
he needed to be perfect. And so he and his team thought, well, we need to make a contingency for every detail. And that's how we become perfect to create the perfect jump to win. I said, well, that's not what the champions do. You know, the champions, they don't chase perfection. They do the one or two things that have to go right so that their capacity and their full potential can manifest when it needs to be manifested. And so I just feel like there's a deeper level of conversation that we need to have to really understand the dynamic of these two mindsets that are wor working concurrently within us. So talk to me about how someone begins to identify those one or two things. Cause I read that and I was like, that's really interesting. I think maybe some high level athletes do that instinctually. They start to yeah, just focus on what matters most yeah. uh, because they know where they tend to break down. Right. So like, Oh, I need to get better at this. I need to do this more often repetition, create those unconscious patterns. Right. Um, but how does someone who maybe isn't familiar with these things start to identify the one or two things that is going to be most important for their goal achievement and success? Well, I, I think, again, um, if you're not sure, seek mentorship from somebody that's done what you aspire to previously right. that can help you dissect what works and what doesn't work. Right. I would also say that um, if you're afraid of doing something, you should always listen to your fear because fear is your friend that tells you to stop and pause and get clarity before you move forward. Mm -hmm. There's another part of the mythology is that I found that a lot of people think, well, fear is the problem, the way I overcome it is to impose my will on it and do that which I think has to go right to do it. And I'm saying, no, take your time to make sure that your next action is the correct action. And if you're not sure, wait until you are sure and get the advice of someone. That would be the, the most important thing for myself. And let me just say, have you ever said anything that you wish you hadn't said, but it happened faster than you could think? And you sure. wish you could take it back and you've ruined yeah. relationships because of it? Yeah. Well, that, that's an example of your human nature. It's high-speed biology. It's all about survival. It doesn't care about your greatness. They care less. That's not a way. I think it could have to do with your, your kind of default brain states as well, right? If you're someone who's right. highly sympathetic, tend to be more reactive rather than responsive. So depending who you are as a default, that's a really big consideration, I'm sure. And I think most people in society aren't highly parasympathetic. They're usually not living out of their cerebral cortex, right? They're living out of their kind of, kind of primal brains, primal instincts. Well, I think that that is right. And that's part, that's part of the, the mythology of goal achievement and greatness. You know, we're told to hyper-focus. Look, if you hyper-focus, you're going to miss better options. You may not be able to avoid blindsides. And if you will yourself through everything, maybe the fear is trying to tell you you're going too fast, you're headed towards a cliff. So I think a lot of these things that we look at, you know, to persevere and don't give up, yeah, that's important. But I think we need to understand the context of this. And it's like, if we're ever prompted to do something too quick out of fear of loss, don't do it. That's a classic thing. Don't do it. And so, again, as you rightly stated, we need to have rituals that we practice throughout the day that keep us engaged in the present moment to really decide whether we do want to take action or we don't want to take action. And to me, in the morning, you should always have some ritual that you go through to set the tone of the day so that the actions are the product of what you wish to create uh, value from that date rather than it being everybody else's emergency that you've taken on that has disrupted your ability to create a day of value and uh, you know take you further towards your goal aspirations. So what were your one or two things when you were preparing for the Olympics or the Tour de France? How many Tour de France did you do? Nine. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Wow, that's impressive. Um, so what were your one or two things? And maybe it changed every year, every time you prepared, but I'd love to hear just kind of an example of what those may be, or maybe in your Olympic athlete you recently trained who did the it was long jump, you said? Yeah, I helped a guy win a gold medal in the uh, London Olympics uh, yeah. with that. But, you know, I would say that, again, it kind of goes back to the one or two things that have to go right. That should be the mantra. You know, anything that you can see that creates the biggest value to advance towards the goal those are the things that you put your effort into. You know, the goal may be way out here, you know, maybe, way, maybe be way out here, but, you know, do that thing close to you that you see that actually can get done based upon the facts. And that's the way that you kind of move towards the bigger future. And, you know, the things that um, I've certainly found for myself, and let me give you an example. The first time I was in an international competition, I was in an international 500 meter final and on my right-hand side was the Olympic champion. And on the left-hand side was the world champion. I was kind of sandwiched between these guys. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these guys have got big legs, man. You know, let me see what this guy, oh my God, these are even bigger. And the rings on the guy's shoulder on the Olympic champion, that was like saying to me, hey, look, there's only room for one guy on this track and it's not you. Let's not forget who, who the boss is here. And I realized that, you know, this is a moment in time for me where I can break the chain about giving people too much credit and discrediting myself and belief of what I'm capable of. Right. And I realized at that moment, I have to devote every ounce of my focus and commitment to pushing on that right pedal to get the jump out of the gate to win. That's the only thing that I need to do. All the other stuff doesn't matter. I don't care who's on my right. I don't care who's on my left. Right. You know, it's about what do I need to do for me to put in my best effort. And I won the silver medal. Um, that was my first uh, medal in a world. Wow. And did, did the Olympic athlete win or the world champion? It was actually the world champion. You know, I was in front of the uh, uh, Olympic uh, champion. The guy gave me a headbutt, and he, which kind of stalled the bike for like a split second. Otherwise, I, I'm starting to break out in the sweat just thinking about it. But I, I would have won had he not given me that headbutt. You know, so in, in any event, it was painful. But you know, the point is, is that you know we always have to look at what has to go right for us to honor the privilege of creating excellence. You know, we're not doing it for self's sake, you know, we're doing it for honor's sake uh, with the privilege of being able to produce excellence. And, and why this is really important to me is that part of our job is to call people to a higher game. I mean, that's why we're here on earth. And in today's world, they can't descend fast enough into mediocrity. People need living, breathing examples of excellence and how it's done. And to me, that's a, a daily ritual that we need to commit to. We need to show up from our highest self to be of greatest service to humanity. If I could just say one other thing about this, um, this is quite personal, but I'm gonna say it anyhow, is that um, 10 years ago, uh, we adopted a 10 year old girl from Colombia that had lived a life of, of unspeakable harm for her first 10 years. Um, it's as bad as it gets, and you can only imagine what that means. And I think about her, and. Um, you know, today she just completed her second year of college. It's a miracle because she didn't speak English when we adopted her. We didn't speak Spanish. She had no school, um, PTSD, ADHD, because of the physical and other abuse that she was exposed to, um, parasitic ridden body, uh, severe malnutrition for 10 years, almost lost her teeth. That was the raw substrate that, that, that we brought to America. And that's where we started. And we started with primitive sign language. And we fought really hard over the last 10 years to usher her forward and beyond some of the hellacious circumstances of her early childhood. And the one thing that I want to say here is that um, 
had people showed up differently for her, she wouldn't have to deal with some of the challenges that she may not be able to out, outrun in her life. And I just feel like the most important decision that we can make every day is how we're going to show up. And people are going to say, well, yeah, well, that's not really the real me. Well, the real you is the one that can show up that calls people to a higher game. You know, the one that complains about everything, that's the imposter you. Let's make sure that we get this right. You know, the authenticity is, again, the evidence of proof of someone that can create excellence in a difficult world. Because if we can demonstrate that even on a small scale, it creates belief in other people. And I feel that we're honor bound to make that part of what we do each and every day. And so much wisdom in that on so many levels, Dr. Jeff. Thank you for sharing. I mean, the, the, the irony of parenting is often that people are reading parenting books, learning how to have a better dynamic with their parents when, or with their children. And all they really need to be doing is improving themselves and showing up as their best self and becoming yeah. that role model for their children. And that's why your daughter is succeeding now is because she's got yourself and your spouse who obviously are showing up every day. Yeah. And you know, there's so much irony there where people are saying, oh, I'm having a hard time with my children. So I'm trying to read parenting books. So I'm looking for advice on parenting and, and they're going down the wrong path, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, where about you? You show up. And then, exactly you know, right. yeah, children hear nothing of what you say and see everything of what you do. And I say that all the time. And I've learned that I've got three kids and I love that. I know that perfectly. Like I can yeah. talk all day. They hear nothing, right? In one ear or the other. Well, that's, you know, it's part of our own therapy. You know, it's a good antidote for us against ourselves. And yeah. you know, we need to kind of hold this reality sacred. And the best thing that we can do for each other is to support each other in our quest for our bigger futures. And again, you know, my deal is, is that winning big is not an accident. You know, it's deliberate. It's supposed to happen. But we have to have a methodology to be able to get us there. And so the fifth uh, step in preparation is resources. And when we talk about resources, we're talking about time and energy. We're talking about materials. We're talking about plans, et cetera. We need to make sure that we have enough materials to be able to safely begin pursuing our goal. So uh, in some goal clarity, understanding our motives, having and understanding our goal impacts, having the champion's mindset and having the resources, when we have evidence that we've actually created that, meaning that I can look at it and I can see it, it's there, it's real. When we see that, then we can be confident and trust in our preparation. So our anxiety drops and our confidence and our ability to start begins. And quite honestly, most people don't prepare well enough. They just think, well, I'll just get started and I'll let the uh, ethers in the universe backfill everything that needs to happen. And I don't know anybody that's a prolific achiever that really does that. You know, they go through kind of a vigorous checklist of things to make sure that they are so that the anxiety is low, the confidence is high, and then they start actively pursuing their goals. You have so much credibility uh, as far as someone who having truthfully lived the champion's mindset. And I think you summed it up perfectly just a minute ago. And I really want to touch on that is when you said you pulled up to the line, and you're doing the 500 meter sprint, um, you acknowledged the people beside you. But when it came down to race time, you had no focus on beating them. You had no focus on keeping up with them or what they were doing. Your only focus, your only exclusive focus was how can I be my best? What do I have to do in this exact instant to thrive for myself? Yes. And I lived that. And even now, looking back on it, I had no, no care in the world. When I was really succeeding, when I was really doing well, I had no care in the world what anyone else was doing. I was only exclusively focused on how can I be my best today? And there's so much wisdom in that because I think so many athletes are focused on, I'm going to beat that guy or 
I'm going to do everything I can to be better than them, or I'm going to make them lose, or like they're just focused on something outside of themselves and realize you're not in control of that, right? And I said, so many athletes, I'm so glad you summarized literally so perfectly. And I just have this vision of your right foot on the pedal. And like, there's one thing you're thinking about, right? That one, that right pedal. That's so beautiful. So much wisdom. Well, thank you for saying that. And again, uh, the idea of producing excellence to me, it's, it's a, it's an honor ritual. And we have to honor the privilege of what our skills and our talents are. You know, I tell my daughter ever since we adopted her and she didn't even speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. It was all, you know, primitive yeah. sign language. I told her when she left to go to school every day, I said, don't be average. You know, she didn't even know what that meant, but I wanted to kind of etch the neural pathways. And so as her vocabulary would develop, she would get the idea, don't be average, you know? Yeah. And that's a really big thing for me. And I think it's critical, again, that... Um, we be mindful of our opportunities and we look at the privilege of honoring our potential. It's not, we're not doing that for selfish reasons. I mean, it's something that I believe that we're honored about. It's, it's a moral obligation to step into our greatness, to honor that privilege. And uh, it, again, it does call people to a higher game and it creates belief in other people. And if there's ever a time in human history where we need beacons of hope, sanity and courage, it's now. So talk to me about after having left, obviously, many, many years of, of professional cycling, um, what it looked like for you to transition into the life you live now. So obviously, there was a, there was a transition phase, and you went through some different things. And I know a lot of people, and myself included, go through this phase where you're kind of redefining who you are as a human being. You're like, well, I'm not really sure who I am. This is who I was for 20 years. Now I really have to dig a little bit deeper. You know, I've, I'm removing all those unconscious habits that I've intentionally acquired to get me the result I wanted. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, okay, who's this new person that I'm able to develop and really become the greatest version of myself? I'd love to have you share some wisdom on you know, how you took it from world class in a number of different things. So obviously sprint cycling is going to be different than endurance tour de France cycling, which is very different than what you're doing now. You said you've also been a chiropractor and you're now doing mental performance coaching. So you're obviously someone who just excels in everything how well again i i follow the path i follow the calling you know that's important for me because when i get the calling and i also have the model you know i've got the goal achievement roadmap i know what to do i know how to prepare and i know how to perform to get the job done and as a result of that my anxiety drops my confidence increases i conserve a lot of energy i sleep well because again i have the map in front of me i know where i am i know what that means i know what's in front of me I'm not taken by surprise by anything. I avoid preventable problems because I have a structure that um, allows me to be able to do that. Uh, Another really important part of this is that as an observer of humanity, I observe that every decade there's a different level of, there's a different lens that we evaluate our life through and make decisions like against. And so the reason why I say that is that we never quite get to the place where we're going to be able to uh, coast because we kind of never get there. In the 20s, you know, we want to revolutionize the world. You know, you guys screwed it up, so stand aside. I'm going to make sure we get this right. So stand aside, everybody. The 30s, it's all about acquisition. I need all the stuff. You know, the 40s is about uh, restoring order in life because we came too top-heavy with obligation, collecting all the junk in the 30s. And then in the 50s, we want to contribute back because we had some good fortune. You know, we want to help people. The 60s is about... Uh, mentorship boots on the ground. Um, so again, the thing that I do want to say is that if you find yourself never quite getting to the finish line, 
that's the way it's supposed to be because we always need to be evolving towards our bigger future. And, you know, time is not the fleeting of years, but it's actually the dawning of wisdom. And I would just say that, um, you know, we think that we want to be comfortable. That's our human nature, but we realize that we don't want to be comfortable. We want to be challenged to bigger and to create lives of contribution. So I just feel like we should be mindful of that. And because you're not getting to where you think you should be, that's a human mindset problem. That's not reality. Champions know that. Champions don't compare themselves against everybody else because we don't really see what everybody else's life is really like behind the veil. You know, it's really about us against us. It's really more us against our own human nature. And can we start to live more from our champion's nature to manifest with greater ease, a life of, you know, conviction, purpose, and uh, prosperity. And the other thing that I would say that I think is really critical here is that with my clients, I always kind of got this burn rate calculator on how much time and effort they're putting into what they're doing. And if I see the time and the effort is not being paid back over time, I know that between the ages of 40 and 60, you're going to have a catastrophic illness, health event, or you're going to have a catastrophic relationship failure. And you never want to get to that place and you can't outrun it. So what my advice is, is that you pace yourself well. You always pay back your physical debt to make sure that you're recovering well because it takes maybe 40, 50 years to do a complete lap through life on a first pass to really get what it's all about. And many people blow themselves up prematurely, too little sleep, uh, bad company, uh, poor diets, et cetera. And what's tragic about that is that just when you get life figured out, that's when you have a health decline or a catastrophic relationship failure that you may never recover from. So take your time, pace yourself, pay back the debt, spend time around great people, spend time around people that you aspire to become, remain a student of the discipline, uh, never give up, uh, be an inspiration to others, teach others that which you wish to learn that'll make you a better student. Those are the things that I see are, that are really critical to be able to move forward and live a life of vitality and purpose and contribution. One thing that you alluded to not a number of times throughout the conversation is this um, necessity almost now for people to step up and lead and live their greatness. Yeah. And uh, maybe this, you also alluded to some of this, this decline into mediocrity that's almost commonplace. Yeah. Why do you think that is? What is, what is missing in the developmental process of the human being or in our, in our lifestyle and youth that more people aren't living into this greatness? Well, I think part of it is that people look against the success. I mean, you could be a unicorn, create a billion dollar company overnight, you know, in your late teens. Well, yeah, the possibility of that is almost non-existent. For Nobody wants people. to grind. Yeah, exactly right. Or they think, well, something's wrong with me because I, or I can never do this. They've already right. decided what it is in advance, which isn't true at all. They talk themselves out of some really good stuff. Right. I think also, you know, we look at things like, well, global warming, you know, well, all, the world's going to, you know, evaporate in 12 years anyhow. So what the hell, why do anything? Right. Go out for dinner, let's talk about it. So I, I feel yeah. like there's a, the conversation is not real. A lot of it, you know, meaning that, yeah, there's always going to be a bigger future. Uh, well, so, there's always room so, at the top for the best. So give at the beginning, at the beginning, I made this allusion to, how you have this perception of what it's going to take to be successful. And for me, and for most people I speak with, success actually took significantly more than you first thought. Would that be your experience? Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. It's like creating that awareness of, um, you know, what it took for you to really become a world-class Olympic cyclist and and a Tour de France multiple-time competitor. Like, I think giving people an awareness of this exponential uh, necessity to work 
has, you almost have to have an awareness and, and an appreciation to bring it. Like you seek that, right? Like yeah. only very few people like yourself get to ever get to that point where they're going to go, Oh boy. Like it's almost like grab on tight. Cause this is going to be hard, but let's <laughs> right. It's well, that's the, that's the, the blessing. Well, it is the blessing. And that's actually the second half of the goal achievement roadmap. The second half is actively pursuing your goal. And there are five different phases that you will be going through from goal inception, where you're actually now actively pursuing the goal to goal achieved. And the first step is start. You've got to make sure that you start well, that you have a first milestone that confirms that the goal is now for real and you're up and moving. Many people, they don't have a deliberate start sequence, so they trip out of the gate. They're already behind. Nope. Just because you prepared, you must have a deliberate start sequence when you're now actively pursuing the goal to produce liftoff, which is the first sign of measurable goal progress. You must have that. And then the second uh, step, which is step number seven, is honeymoon. Once you've had an initial success, it's really easy to now start living as if the goal's already achieved when you're actually just getting started. And you see this all the time yeah. in startups where they get their first raise, they go out and spend money on $40,000 speakers and Bentleys and stuff, and they're not even generating positive cash flow yet because their mind thinks that we've already succeeded. It's only a matter of time. And so then there's always a massive course correction where you have to face that reality. And then here's the big one. Step number eight, the daily grind. The daily grind is where you're putting all this time and effort into it. You've got the capacity to succeed. You've got the great plan. You've got a great team. But yet you're not getting the progress that you think you deserve from the time and effort that you're putting into it. And all I can tell you at the daily grind, that's an essential part that you absolutely must know is coming in every goal of significance. And you must realize that that's the time when you're building your critical mass. You got to know how to stay in the game. You got to know what metrics to look at that they're evidence of progress. Because the promise of the daily grind is if you know how to get through it because you can recognize what it is and you don't give up. And if you haven't screwed it up by not being prepared enough, you haven't screwed it up by botching the start, if you haven't screwed it up by overspending in the honeymoon, where you're going to quit is in the daily grind because you don't believe you can do it. You've got to have a strategy for staying in the game because the daily grind's, prog the daily grind's promise is this, is that if you know how to stay in the game and you're building critical mass and capacity as an individual and as a team, Eventually, I got getting goosebumps now saying this. You're going to get up one day and you're going to believe that you can do it. Yep. And when you get up and you believe that you can do it, it's almost like game over. And so daily grind is really big. You have to recognize what it is. You have to know how to stay in it to get the belief. And that's this idea of being three feet from gold, right? I think Napoleon Hill wrote the story of like, you know, this, this man searching for gold, he gave up three feet and the person who bought the plot ended up discovering it three feet later. That's exactly it. And I think there's a lot of people who give up in, in that three feet from gold scenario. Yeah. You don't want to do that. You know, yeah. in today's world, what people, they don't want to, they don't want to prepare what they want to do. They want to start, have a honeymoon and then they want to succeed. Right. They don't want to do any of the work. And, and I think that's where passion is too, right? If you have that passion for it, like I don't ever want to change what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing, right? I, I can do the grind forever. <laughs> I can grind forever, man. I'm content. It's <laughs> right. exactly right, man. Nobody's yeah. going to outlast me. Right. But, but we have to know that that's coming because, again, we got the human mindset. See, the human mindset thinks, okay, um, I'm in the daily grind. It's something that I did. So now I won't swear. I promise I'll never swear again to get back on track, right? Or, you know, maybe I ate a piece of chocolate cake and that's the reason why I did this. I did this to myself or I chose it on the other side. Garbage. That's garbage. 
you know, in any goal of any significance, there's always going to be a difficult period where you're creating critical mass. We just need to see what it is. We need to recognize it. We need to team, tell the team where we are, what we need to do to survive it, to get up the next day, believing that we can do it. Beautiful. What's point number nine? Point number nine is actually breakthrough. Once you believe that you can do it, you have to go from belief to knowing. Because belief is, I think I can do it. There's still some doubt. But knowing that you can do it comes through a breakout. This is where you name an experience that you must create that when it's achieved, it tells you where you have now 100% knowing and you're 100% certain and confidence you can achieve your goal. So, for example, Dave Asprey, someone that I helped, uh, I was Dave's corner man for quite some time and to be, uh, of, uh, since 2014. And uh, there was a point in Bulletproof where I said, Dave, you know, um, Bulletproof has uh, left the launching pad. You can't hold this back right now, man. You got this charismatic personality. You got a great podcast. You got product demand. You got this cult following. The media loves you. We have to tool up here. And you and I both know that this can be big. We believe it, but now we have to know it. What do we need to do to know that we can do it? Two things. We need to staff people at higher levels and we need to get inventory of product. What do we need to do to do that? We need $7 million to make that happen. Got the seven million, several million dollars, was able to get the right people in the right uh, executive positions, was able to get the inventory, boom. Here we are, several hundred million dollar company as a result of that because we went from belief that we could do it to knowing and that was the raise. When I was an Olympian, when I had aspiration of becoming Olympian, I knew that I had to go to a national championship. I needed to be a national champion or an Olympian to know that I could become an Olympian, which I did. I got third place in the national championship. I beat the national champion. I knew I could do it. So step number nine, this is where the relief comes. You go from the daily grind to having your breakout to knowing that you can do it. The final step, number 10, is finish. What I mean by finish is, is that if you don't finish, you don't win. And part of the mantra is you better rush to the finish line to get it before you trip and fall or somebody butts in front of you in line. I say, don't do it. You know, unless you finish, you don't win. So take your time, pull back, make sure you have the right pacing. Don't look for magic answers. Don't listen to other people that try to push you into thinking that you need to get there because the likelihood of tripping is a lot more uh, possible than getting to the finish line. So you, you wrote that in one of the um, articles you have on your website is don't disregard preparation by focusing on winning at all costs. And I really that wrote man. that down. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen this a million times. I mean, imagine an airplane pilot on the final descent. And so he goes from 200 miles an hour to 400 to get on the tarmac faster. Wasn't the Titanic the best example, right? The Titanic the unsinkable right. ship. Like, yeah, hey, we're going to go faster. We're going to surprise them and get there faster. And then bang, that's, that's the perfect metaphor for you in that You're scenario, right. right? You're right. So. You're right. So again, those are the 10 steps. The champion's gold rule. First you prepare, then you perform. When you prepare well and you know it because you've got the evidence, your anxiety drops, your confidence increases, that's the way you want to start. And once you're actively pursuing the goal in Division Two performance, if you know exactly what the five uh, phases that you will be going through and you know uh, the risks associated with them, then you can avoid the preventable problems. And, you know, again, uh, Ben, um, goal achievement is life's fundamental skill. We can all talk a big game, but the way that we create a legacy that lives on, it's our kind of immortality, so to speak, in this dimension. We gotta be able to 
create a life of evidence uh, that can serve as um, case studies for people to follow on how to create lives of distinction and contribution and live lives of value. And without the ability to create and achieve our goals systematically and efficiently on time, then we significantly uh, we um, significantly limit our ability to again uh, live a life of significance and contribution. Now, there's so many things I want to ask you, but there's one more thing that I uh, would feel uh, like I'm, I'm <clears throat> neglecting if I can't if we don't dive into this a little bit earlier in the conversation. You mentioned you mentioned a little bit about legacy, and I know you have a process by which you suggest people determine their legacy statement, and I think that's extremely valuable for our. Listeners, do I do that with all my mentorship clients? It's like, I think that's, that's a beautiful jumping off point for people because yeah. it does give you almost that roadmap, right? That idea, like, where do you want to finish? What do you want to be known for? I'd love to, for you to walk us down that process. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I do believe that we do need to kind of preview what contribution we'll make in advance to be able to make intelligent decisions as opportunities show up as we move through the process of life from start to finish. And I do feel that we do need to take the time to really look at, you know, what's going to be said about us when we don't get a chance to come back and redo it. Because once our time has elapsed here, there are no redos. Right. And what we do will live on in the uh, historical archive of humanity uh, for all time. And we are accountable for that. And I do feel like, people do have a sense of immortality. There's always going to be time later. And one of the things that I've seen with the idea of legacy is people, well, we'll figure that out later. We'll decide, you know, what Ben and Jeff did right. And we'll write a nice little eulogy about that. Right. No, I say you decide now what that is because when you have that as part of your North star compendium, then it keeps you on the straight and narrow. It allows you to look at life and make decisions in an entirely different way. And I just really encourage everybody to not dismiss that till later, but really look at what it is that you want to be known for and what contribution do you want to make to humanity and what type of life do you want to live? What type of life do you want to give your family and your friends? And I think that that's something that should be done deliberately you know, and periodically we should take a look at it. This idea of legacy is something that's really come into my radar in the last 12 and 24 months. Like, you know, how do you want to be known in this world? And you have this, everyone has this amazing opportunity. I know a lot of some people, uh, a lot of people don't acknowledge their power and they don't acknowledge the fact that they can make a massive impact on the entire globe, not just their own little personal community, but they don't want to, as you say, live into that power and uh, accept the reality that you can make a massive impact in a positive way. Um, so once I started kind of acknowledging this reality and I've got a platform to begin with, but I can be exponentially greater than I currently am, the idea of delivering a legacy that, you know, my children and their children and their children's yeah. children can start to, um, you know, you almost, you're just upping the level of the game, right? You're, just, you're stepping up everyone's game. It's, it's like being the leader on the team, right? Where that, that one who came before who set the new standard and now everyone around you is allowed to shine their light, right? This idea yes. of be, be the lighthouse in the storm and allow everyone else to kind of see, you know, see the path. And I think there's so much value in that. Well, we're giving people permission to, to embrace their bigger capacity. And I feel like we really need to do that. You know, it's something that we, I believe, as I said earlier, we are morally bound to be able to cultivate and grow our skills and showcase them to other people. 
Because when we do that, we don't have time for the trivialities that many people get lost in. You know, we're too busy trying to create lives of significance on behalf of other people to, to let that get in the way. Now, you spoke about um, daily rituals and the necessity to, to create your mind. And I speak about it all the time. Create your mind before the world creates it for you. Um, what, <laughs> are your, um, what are your daily rituals and what do you suggest people do? Yeah, well, the first thing in the morning uh, when I get up, I always, uh, you know, say a prayer just about the, the, the opportunity for having another other day of uh, honoring the privilege and calling people to a higher game. I always want to honor that as a gift. Um, and uh, also uh, for my family as well. Um, and then I always look at the champion uh, versus the human mindset. And I realize that I can't turn off the human mindset and uh, I have to replace it with something and supersede it with the champion's mindset. What is that? And you know, what are the things that champions do and how do they make their decisions? I look at that because... Do you have a, a written statement that you read every day? Because like, if you did that, I would be the first guy who read that every day. Like, what, what does that look like yeah. to, to carry the champion's mindset every day? You know, the one thing I read every day is this victim versus responsible or victim versus ownership, yeah. right? Like, I want to be responsible and take ownership. I read that every day. I don't ever want to be a victim. But to add this, like, champion versus human would be a brilliant thing for if you don't already have a tip to share with the audience. I, I actually have two things. Number one, okay. I actually have a graphic and a poster showing the human versus the champion's mindset. Beautiful. But I also have a little plastic card the size of a credit card. And on one side, in red, it's got the human mindset. You know, red means don't do this. <laughs> Danger. <laughs> Stop. <And then> the <laughs> other, <laughs> Stop. And then on the other side, it's blue. It's got the champion's mindset. And if we're standing in line, we're stuck at a red light, we kind of take the card out. We just kind of look at it as a reminder because we can't shut the human mindset off. And it's going to wait till we're vulnerable mentally because we're tired, maybe had you know, a couple of rough weeks at you know, work where we worked overtime. The human mindset is always there to control our decision-making. You can't shut it off. And so every day we have to make a conscious decision how we're going to show up and how we're going to make our decisions. The day we think we don't need it is the day that we're deceiving ourselves because that may be the day that we make that one amateurish mental mistake that can uh, take us out of the game or, or be harmful for our entire life. There has to be a deliberate ritual. We also need to decide how we're going to show up. How am I going to show up? Am I going to show up and make people pay for the life that I don't have that I want? Or am I going to show up and am I going to call people to a higher game by giving people everything that I've got at the highest level? You've got to make that decision. You know, yeah, it's natural to show up in a bad mood, but who wants to be natural? I don't want to be natural. I want to be supernatural. You know, I want to be supernatural because I want people to see that there is another way of living life and engaging it from a different level of capacity and influence. We have to make that decision. We also need to decide, why am I doing this? So I have a picture of my wife and my daughter, and I have a picture of humanity that I look at every day. It reminds me why I get up and do what I do. You know, why did I create the Goal Achievement Roadmap Experience? I did that for other people. I don't want them to live a life of goal frustration. I want them to live a life of prosperity and passion and purpose. We have to eat well when we get up. You know, a good breakfast that sustains us. Yeah. Got to keep inflammation down, energy up. Those are the things that I look at 
that how do you how do you eat and stay fit now? Do you still cycle or what's your primary? I ride, I ride every day. I'm a cycling lunatic. Yeah. Are, so you, what, so what, I, are you in Southern California? You said right. Yeah, yeah. So I can go out and twiddle virtually any day. But any you day. know, I, I do two things, uh, three things actually. Number one is that I ride my bike every day. Uh, you know, pretty hard. You know, I, on good days I've got uh, Olympic legs, um, and so uh, I think a lot when I ride. Uh, I think about uh, how do I create bigger futures for people, etc. I also do Qigong every day um, because I, you know, when the body has ideal tissue length to tone and we're able to move with greatest energy conservation, uh, the breath is the metronome for the mind. So when we do some traditional meditative art like that, I think it's uh, an essential part of uh, any health uh, program. And then I also do uh, weights. You know, my three favorite lifts are the uh, dead hand clean and uh, the leg press and the bench press, those are the big three. But I also do some decompression stuff, you know, hanging knee to chest, dumbbell inclined flies, lap pull downs, uh, dumbbell pullovers, et cetera, just to make sure that uh, the body and the health are, you know, humming along at peak efficiency. And it, let me tell you sort of why I do this is that um, I just turned 68. And I don't know wow. what 68 is supposed to feel like or wow. act like. I don't know. But I've got a 20-year-old daughter that uh, I need to stay fit and uh, be vital and vibrant for. And there's a lot of work that needs to get done. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, sweat is a, an essential daily nutrient that I have. And uh, it's something that I take uh, very seriously. Incredible. Uh, Dr. Jeff, I can't thank you enough. I think we could talk for another three hours. I'd if, love that sometime. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, absolutely fascinated with what you do and all the wisdom you bring. So thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and where can everyone find more about you? And you can tell them about your website and any, anywhere you want to send well, thank audience. you. First off, I'd want to say that, you know, there's only one of us, only one of you in all of creation. And because of that, it allows us to do some really unique things in life and never discount our capacities. And those things that are unique to us, those are the foundational elements that we should cultivate and grow, create a life, life platform based on. And to be mindful that there's always room at the top for the best. I don't care what the world conditions are and the circumstances and what the press is saying. We all have the ability to influence and support each other. And so my outreach now is to help people become prolific goal achievers. Um, and the best way to get in touch with me is to go to www.drjeffspencer.com forward slash roadmap. And that will give you more information about the Goal Achievement Roadmap Program. And please reach out to me at jeff at drjeffspencer.com. Ben, thanks again for this amazing opportunity. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gents, that's a wrap of today's podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, as always, I am so grateful for you guys giving me your time, giving me your ear, and hopefully this podcast has provided a tremendous amount of valuable insight for you to help you live your greatest life. Please head over to iTunes now and leave us a review. Reviews drive this podcast. I'm so grateful for you guys doing that for me. And if you haven't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Greatest podcast in the world, right? Muscle Intelligence Podcast on iTunes. Head over there now and subscribe. Leave us a review and share with at least one person you know that will love it. I'm so grateful for you guys leaving me so much feedback on all the recent podcasts on Instagram and on iTunes and on YouTube. Uh, thank you um, because it makes me feel great. It makes me know that what we're doing matters. And I want you guys to know that I'm upgrading the podcast going forward. I really want to... Um, 
dive deeper into doing more of these podcasts live, doing more of them, um, you know, with high level influencers, high level authors and people who really inspire us to live our greatness because that's what this is about. How do we propel humanity to its highest peaks? Have an amazing day, ladies and gents, and live your greatest life in a body you love. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.